Happy Monday, everyone. Uh, today, or this week, actually, we're going to go through the, uh, Ezra chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to start by just um, reminding us something that Jesus tells us about the reality of the Christian life. Uh, Jesus, multiple times in the New Testament during his earthly ministry, have told his followers that if you were to follow Christ, if any of us were to um, be worshippers of Jesus Christ, that one of the results of it is that we will be hated. John, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, you will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Matthew 24, uh, verse 9, tells us that, uh, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Mark 13, 13 reads, You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures it to the end, he will be saved. Um, I'm going to read a little bit more uh, in just terms of one of the recurring themes that Jesus speaks to his disciples in terms of counting the costs is that you will, all, that as Christians, we will always have to endure the onslaught from the world, uh, that people that uh, hate Christ is going to notice our life, notice what we believe, and they're going to do all that they can uh, to stop us, because that's ultimately a, um, a reminder of their own sin. When we say that we believe in the one true God, we're essentially telling everyone else in the world that all of their uh, religion and their lifestyle and their thinking are wrong. Luke 21, verse 16 to 17, But you will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. They will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. John chapter 7, uh, verse 7 reads, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify to it that its deeds are evil. Uh, and this is one more in the Gospels, John chapter 15. Verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this world, because of this, the world hates you. So that's one of the, um, the I guess, the when we think about being a Christian, it's part of counting the cost. One of the costs is going to be um, that there's going to be a struggle in this world. Uh, that it's going to be hard to live uh, a faithful life because the world hates us. They're going to try their best to try to strip away our comforts. Uh, they're going to do our uh, best, do their best to make sure that um, being a Christian is hard. And we know that because, you know, again, Jesus said it, and it happens in reality. But this should be something that we understand. Um, that's just a normal Christian life. First John. Chapter 3, verse 13, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in them. Even John, in, in, in giving assurance and testing the assurance of, of the believers, understand that there are going to be people who hate us? They hate us because their 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 hearts and their affections are op, are in opposition with the one that's revealed in Scripture, ultimately against God. When we look at our life, 
Uh, there are different types of persecution. There's like religious guilt, something that uh, the you know, other religious group would try and make you feel guilty out of, or certain type of movements that make you feel guilty for not being part of them. Um, I'm thinking about like Galatians, when the Judaizers went into the church to try to make the, uh, the Christians feel guilty for not upholding the law. Uh, that's a type of persecution. They, 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 they start making people believe uh, that what they have is not complete. Or in First John, when the Gnostics claim that they have some special truth that the church doesn't know about. So they, they use their false knowledge to suppress and oppress those that truly are, uh, uh, that truly do believe uh, in the one true God. Sometimes there are financial persecutions or social persecutions. Financial persecution would be people, ways in which people persecute you by taking away your job or your ways to survive in the world. Uh, we see this in the book of Revelation when they say that you have to get the mark of the beast in order to purchase things. That's intended so that uh, it, it would be really hard to live uh, unless you uh, pledge your allegiance to the Antichrist, to things of the world, that they're going to try to take away your jobs. Or social standing, uh, you lose your family, you lose your um, social placing, like uh, you lose your reputation. We see this in the book of Hebrews, uh, where the Christians, uh, the, 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 the Christian that came out of Judaism, uh, they lose um, inheritance from their family. They're, they're outcasted, they're exiled from their loved ones because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, that's just the normal part of the Christian life. There's also physical persecutions. You see the book of Acts where Paul, or Saul, Paul, Saul before he became Paul, uh, took the life of Christians. He took the lives of uh, women and children and men. He just killed all of them. Uh, that this, and, and even in the end, in First and Second Peter, in First and Second Timothy, Paul and Peter, when they're writing these letters, they know that they're entering, uh, they're about to die, um, and they're going to be killed for their faith. And that's just the sad. In a, in a reality, but also at the same time, it's an honorable thing for us to be able to be counted as worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. I say all this because this is what I think Ezra chapter 4 began to see. Uh, if you recall last week, we talked about how the, uh, the Jews were faithful in, in rebuilding uh, the beginning of the temple, and then there was this one part in um, chapter 3, verse 3, where the, uh, the neighboring people were terrified because of people because uh, they're offering all these sacrifices, and they, there's this implication of, okay, if they are going to do this, then uh, there's some implication that like they're going to start being exclusive again. And part of the reality is that as Christians, even for the Jews then, that worshiping uh, God exclusively is why there's persecution. That's why people hate Christianity. Christianity, is, the people like the moral aspects of Christianity, like, okay, love your neighbors, care for the poor, they like those things, honoring your parents, um, you know, loving your kids, these things are good uh, biblical principles. What people hate is the definitive statements the Bible makes. Uh, when they make these definitive statements, like there's only one God, people hate that, and that the only way to salvation is in Jesus Christ. People do not like that. Recently, when you look at the Boy and Girl Scouts of America, they've had to file for bankruptcy because there was no way for them to compromise anymore. Uh, they said that, okay, well, girls and boys, these terms are too um, binary, or, and, and uh, we as a culture don't believe in boy and girl anymore. Or if you are a girl, you should be able to join the boy or and vice versa. And you know they were sued. There was a whole bunch of lawsuits against them. But the issue isn't so much, oh, we need to let your kids, let our kids play with other kids, or that, like, 
uh, even the gender thing, they're, uh, it's what the genders imply. Because the genders, the specific gender of boy and girl, implies that you are not in control or you're not the decide, you can't decide whether you're a boy or girl. You're made that way. God made you a certain way and, uh, you're to be thankful for that. And the world hates that. The world hates knowing that they're not in control of their autonomy, of their physical bodies. That's why the Boy and Girl Scouts of America were sued and attacked so much these last few years. It's because they don't want to be reminded of the fact that they are indeed, there's really indeed two genders, boy and girl. They hate the creator and then they take it out on the creation. Um, but yet God expects to be worshipped in a certain way. And denial of that is why people hate God and hate those that follow God. Um, all opposition to Christianity are actually hatred towards God. And this is why when we compromise, or if people choose to compromise, compromise is never an answer for those who want to faithfully worship the Lord. And we're going to see that here in chapter 4, that faithfulness uh, to the Lord will often lead to persecution. Faithfulness to the Lord will lead to persecution. We see that from the old all the way to the new. Um, again, today, uh, for this uh, episode today, uh, well, I'm just going to walk through the text, and this week we're going to just go with the three application points in regards to persecution. So starting chapter 4, verse 1. Now when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the people of the exile were building a temple to the Lord God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's household and said to them, Let us build with you, for we, like you, seek your God, and we have been sacrificing him since the days of Eshkoronathan, king of Assyria, who brought us up here. So it's interesting that the enemies here uh, these uh, people were actually uh, those that were Samaritans. And the reason why I say that is because it, when, in verse 2, there were uh, those that were offering sacrifice that claimed to be uh, worshippers of the same God. And you have to understand some of the cultural background here. In the beginning here, in, for, in the beginning of chapter 4, it says Judah and Benjamin. These are the two remaining tribes. Um, remember in first, yeah, in first Kings, when Rehoboam, uh, sinned greatly. He split the nation into two. The ten tribes, uh, uh, or two, split between two tribes. There's the two tribes and the ten tribes. The two tribes of Judah and Benjamin and the ten tribes of everyone else. The ten tribes were actually taken, um, to, uh, taken by the Assyrians. They were taken into captive earlier. They were taken in captive in 2 Kings 17. And, uh, the Assyrians, how they dealt with, um, people that they capture is, is, uh, is that they, basically breathe them out of existence. So they, they do like, okay, we're going to scatter you into different places. We're going to make sure you don't know where your home is. You don't know which direction you're coming from. You're forced then to marry other people that you don't even know. And then it, it's a way of ethnic cleansing by uh, removing them from their land and removing their, their, uh, their religious background so that people will have no idea where they're from. And I preached through Jonah and Nahum. That's the type of people that, uh, um, that took the first ten tribes. That they were these people. Their way of destroying, uh, of, of persecuting people, is by mixing everyone together so that they lose their identity. Um, the, but Judah and Benjamin, these two, they were taken by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians' way of persecution is by uh, re-educating them and then uh, keep and put them in the land. So that's like in the Book of Daniel, right? Daniel and his three friends. Uh, they were brought into the land, and then they were taught how to live like a Babylonian. They taught all their, their worldviews, their lifestyle, and everything. And uh, they said, okay, now go back into our into Babylon and live with how we teach you. Uh, but the Persians, 
the one now, they, their understanding is different. Uh, their way is like, okay, you take, you, uh, you take the people, uh, but you simulate, you, you let them worship freely into the land, but the only thing that they have to do is that they just have to pay taxes. So the two tribes, uh, Judah and Benjamin, they were taken into Babylon, and then the Persians defeated the Babylon, so now we get to Ezra, which is the two tribes left. Uh, they're, they, they, they get to live in the land, and they're now given instruction to rebuild the temple. So that's where um, these first two uh, verses kind of set up the stage of why um, there's like this tension. The, the enemies here are really just the Assyrian, the, the Jews that are taken into Syria. They're mixed together, and now they're, they, they see that the Jews were building this, are trying to rebuild the temple. They want to be part of it again. Um, but verse 3. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of ha- the heads of the household of Israel said to them, you, are, you have nothing in common with us in building a house to our God, but we ourselves will gather together to build the Lord, uh, build to the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded. And then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their counsel all the days of Cyrus, the king of Persia, until even the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So, uh, the Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel and Jeshua saw that these enemies, uh, they, they, they claimed to be their own people. They claimed to worship and they said, no, you have nothing to do with us. And um, the reason why we're building this is not because of our own doing, but because the king gave us command to do so. Uh, so in verse 4 to 5, and actually 4, 4, 4 to 7, um, this actually explains when Ezra wrote this book, because this is all after the fact. Um he wrote this book not at the, as it was happening, but after the fact it happened, because then it goes from Cyrus to Darius, and then verse 6, now in the reign of Azuharis. This is the same guy as in uh, Esther in uh, Xerxes. Uh, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And in the days of Artaxerxes, Bishlam, Mishra, Tebeth, and the rest of his colleagues wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And the rest, and, and the text of the letter was written in Aramaic and translated from Aramaic. So this, uh, from from 5 to 7, there's like all these different kings that came uh, after Cyrus. And this is around like almost like an 80-year uh, time of like of, of hostility, 80 years of people slandering uh, the Jews. Um, verse 4 said that the people had discouraged the people of Judah. So uh, it must be that they either were not only slandering them, but they're gossiping about them. They wrote lies about them. They're just you know, cursing them while they're there. Uh, they're doing whatever they can to try, to try to stop the temple from being built. Uh, so verse 8 to 16, we actually see this letter that's written. Rahim, the commander of the Shishman, the tribe wrote a letter against uh, Jerusalem to King Artaxerxes as follows. Then wrote Rahim, the commander, and Shishimshai, the scribe, and the rest of their colleagues, the judges of the Lesser governor, the officials, the secretary, and the men of Erech, the Babylonian men of Susa, that is the Almanites, and the rest of the nations which the great and honorable Osnapper uh, deported and settled in the country of Samaria and in the rest of the region beyond the river. Now, this is a copy of the letter which they sent them. Uh, to King Artaxerxes, your servant, the men of the region beyond the river and now, let it be known to the king that the Jews came up from you came come to us at Jerusalem they were building and they are rebuilding the rebellious and evil city and are fishing finishing the walls and repairing the foundations 
Now let it be known to the king that if the city is rebuilt, the walls are finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and it will damage the revenue of the king. So this is basically one other accusation that if you let these Jews go, they're just going to be so strong and they're not going to pay you taxes anymore. And there's no way they would know this because they haven't finished it. But this is just their uh, way of just trying to slow down, <clears throat> slow down and stop the process of the, the rebuilding of the temple. Verse 14. Now, because we are in the servants, we are in the service of the palace. It is not fitting for us to see the king dishonored. Therefore, we have sent and informed the king. So these people claim um, that what they're doing is is um, is actually better for the kingdom. Uh, this phrase, we are in the service of the palace. I think an ESV uses the phrase, eat the salt. Um, there's no, I think that, I'm trying to think what the English equivalent would be, but it might be basically saying that they're receiving the benefits of the king, uh, the, that they're, um, uh, that, the, that they're like uh, under the, the, the protection and provision of the king. And they're saying, like, if you do this, uh, we're only doing this because we are so loyal to you. And uh, these Jews, if, if you continue letting them build, um, we're all going to suffer. Verse 15, so that a search may be made in the record book of your fathers, and you'll discover in the record books and learn that the city is a rebellious city and damaging to kings and provinces and that they have inside revolt within it in past days. Therefore, the city was laid waste. Now, this is interesting because it's true that there were rebellious people, but they were rebellious. It said that they were rebellious against the Lord. Uh, they were living sinfully, um, but that's not because uh, the Jews were, you know, that's not what they're supposed to be about, but it's because uh, their, their their idolatry and worshiping and being like the world that they became, <clears throat> that they became people that were a rebellious city. And uh, so I'm assuming this, they're probably reading maybe Second Kings or Second Chronicles is probably the, um, the book that they're telling. Hey, read those books and see how wicked these people are. Verse 16. We inform the king that if that if that city is rebuilt and the walls finished, as a result, you will have no possession in the province beyond the river. Then the king sent an answer to Rahim the commander, the Shimshai the scribe, and to the rest of the colleagues who live in Samaria and the rest of the province beyond the river. Peace and now, uh, and docu the document which you sent to us has been translated and read before me. A decree has been issued by me, and the search has, made, has been made, and it has been discovered that 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 city has run up against king in the past days. That rebellion and revolt has been part uh, uh, perpetrated in the land. Uh, that mighty kings have ruled over Jerusalem, governing all the provinces beyond the river and the tribute customs and toll were paid to them so now issue a decree to make these men stop work that this city may not be rebuilt until decree is issued by me beware of being negligent in carrying out this matter why should that why should damage increase to the detriment of the kings then as soon as a copy of king Artaxerxes was read before Raham and Shimshai described in their colleagues they were they went in haste to Jerusalem to the Jews and stopped them by force of arms. They took on the house of God. They, they then the work of the house of God in Jerusalem ceased and it was stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, if you were with me during time when I went through the book of Esther, you realize that King Artaxerxes, Ar he's you know, he actually only went by. Uh, went through Jerusalem once on one of his 
when he was trying to fight Egypt and he failed, he went back and he actually went past uh, Jerusalem one one time. But in this uh, instant, in this sense, in this situation, remember that King Arzers, King Arzersi, uh he's a guy that said that whatever whatever the king says is final. Uh, there's no way in which you can uh, uh, you can overrule it unless there's another a rule that kind of overcomes it. That's what the whole book of Esther, you see that like uh, they were making one decree and then in order to overrule that decree, that's make another decree uh, to kind of cover it, to kind of like save face because they believe that anything that King says is final. So what he's uh, announced here, this decree that he's made is that the Israelites have to stop working. They have to stop building this temple. And the reason why that is, is again, it's because their exclusive worship of the Lord um, and that's what causes them to suffer. And, I, and, and as we look at this, I want to draw some principles about how we, uh, how do we think about uh, persecution um, in our life? It may be sooner, it may be later, but the life of Christian is promised that we will have to suffer to a certain degree for the, for our, for the name of, of Jesus Christ. So this week, when we look at uh, just three questions about persecution, why does persecution happen? We'll look at that tomorrow. And following the next day, we'll learn how to endure persecution. And lastly, how to think about uh, persecution. So uh, I hope this is going to be a helpful study for all of us, because as we think about our time, as we think about going back to church and living in a new world, again, it seems like because of this COVID thing, living in a world that's different than it was just even a few months ago, uh, I hope that we can be equipped to think biblically and critically about it so that we can Still be faithful in light of how hard things might be to somewhere down the line. Uh, thank you for listening and hope you have a blessed Monday. Take care.